everybody feel relaxed and refreshed already, huh? Let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 46, Switzerland. Uh, my dad's been to Switzerland. I've never personally been. I've often thought about it, and I'm going to give you some of those details and statistics and some of those attributes of Switzerland. If you wanted to travel there by airplane, it would be a ten, about a 10-hour flight. It will cost you between $500 up to $2,000 a ticket. Actually, I found a deal on Orbis, if anybody's interested, for $532.84. And so you'll be leaving out of Philadelphia Airport. It's about 4,000 miles, and so if you wanted to drive that, that would be about 80 hours. So you can't go straight 4,000 miles, so you're going to have to go up into North Pole, the North Pole and come down the other side. So you're talking about 150, 200 hours. If you want to try that drive, you can try to do that to make it over to Switzerland. There's 8.5 million people in Switzerland. One of the highest life expectancy countries in the world. One of the top 20 largest economies. It's a very, very strong country economically. Every entry and exit in and out of the country of Switzerland is booby-trapped with explosives. And so the reason for that is in case of a foreign invasion. And so they obviously want to stop that invasion from coming in. And if the invader has gotten in and they want to stop them from leaving so they can be captured. And so every entry is booby-trapped with explosives. The Swiss coffee is the most expensive in the world, even more so than Starbucks. Can you imagine that, huh? Some inventions you might be familiar with. Has anybody ever used a potato peeler? Got to have one of those in life, right? Potato peeler was invented in Switzerland. Also, Velcro was invented. If you have a dog, you're going to be taxed. Every dog gets taxed in Switzerland. It's known as the world's happiest country. I can see why, just watching that video. Parents can be overruled in what they name their child. So if you're a parent and you named your child something that they thought would be uh, detrimental to the health uh, of your child, they could change that. Not in America, huh? Sundays are protected. There's no cutting grass, no washing your car. There's actually a curfew. And Swiss people eat more chocolate than anyone else in the whole wide world. I thought I won that award, but... Let me give you a little trivia here. Sound of Music. Have you heard or seen the music, the Sound of Music, right? Everybody's familiar with that classic? And so the Von Trapp family, at the end of the film, you'll remember that they're escaping. They're escaping from Austria, and they're going where? Oh, they're not, actually. Got you on that one. Yeah, the Von Trapps didn't go to Switzerland, and they didn't walk or run. They went to Italy by train. Let's talk about the attributes of God. I want to bridge this into something I think is so spectacular. We have to go back to the Reformation. Of course, the Reformation started in Germany under Martin Luther's leadership, and so Martin Luther was impacted by the gospel. And you remember that he understood that it was faith alone, it was the righteousness of Christ imputed or given to him, and he battled with that. Of course, he was a Catholic monk, and he's struggling with all about faith and what's it mean to believe in God. And so he posted his 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg. It's sort of like a modern-day or an old ancient historical form of a website. And so he did that, and the Reformation was sparked and started to spread. People were becoming Christians. People were realizing that the gospel that had been hidden in Catholicism that has been buried and distorted and even deception within the Catholic Church, these men and these women were emerging out of that. They didn't want to obliterate the Catholic Church. They just wanted to reform the Catholic Church. That's why it's called the Reformation. It started to move out. Persecution 
erupted under Queen Mary. And so as a result of all of that, the Christians and mostly the pastors and leaders went to Switzerland because in Geneva it was a sanctuary. It was a place of refuge, and they could be safe. And out of Geneva and out of Switzerland, the Swiss Reformation would spark an amazing movement of God that would spread all around the world. Some of those men, you might be familiar with them. Aldrich Zwingli is one of them, William Farrell, and John Calvin. Tremendous, tremendous Christians and men of God, as well as tremendous women of God that are largely forgotten during the Reformation, and there's some tremendous women who love Jesus. So the corruptions of the Catholic Church led to widespread abuse and the loss of credibility within Catholicism, and many, many people were being impacted. And listen, you and I are impacted as a result of the Reformation that started in Germany and also spread to Switzerland and eventually to this country, ultimately. So the attribute I want to focus in on is really a theological one. It's something that God attributes to himself. It's a characteristic of who he is. And it was one of the primary teachings that came out of the Swiss Reformation, out of Switzerland, and it was the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. How many people have ever heard that term before? Raise your hand. The sovereignty of God. Let me give you a definition. God is the supreme authority and all things are under his control. That would be all things are under his control. That means he is completely in control of everything in his universe, which he created. So that makes complete sense that he would be the one who is sovereign over it or the ruler of it. In 1646, the Westminster Confession was written. It took about five years, 121 pastors and theologians in the Westminster Abbey in England. And so they gathered all of these people together to talk all things Christian. Confessions are important in the historical church because there's a lot of wingnuts and and just really crazy, crazy people theologically through history. And so what they would do is they'd gather all these legitimate evangelical Christian scholars and they would come up with these confessions that would help the church to stay on track. The Westminster Confession is one of the most famous. It says this about the sovereignty of God, and I'm quoting, God from all eternity did, by his most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. There's some important words that they chose there. God is free. He is ultimately free. We're not in the sense that God is free. He didn't need anybody else's wisdom. He didn't need to turn to anybody else to try to make decisions about his universe and what needed to happen in it. On our case, we would need that. It's holy counsel, they said, of his own will, and it's unchangeable. In other words, he's ordaining whatever comes to pass. This is an important attribute or characteristic of God. So the question would be, who is ultimately in control? Who is ultimately in control? How many people here would be a self-confessed control freak? Raise your hand. You love control. You've got to be in control. Some some of these people are dear people raising their hands. I know that some of you are controllers, but you just don't want to raise your hand. We all struggle with control at various times and in various ways. But if you didn't raise your hand and you're wondering if you are a control freak or a controller, I have 10 characteristics or another attributes of a controller. You don't delegate. You don't delegate very well. It's about your schedule. Everything has to be on your schedule, number two. Number three is you're a perfectionist. Another one is that you're a moody person. Your expectations get threatened often, and that bothers you. You have a tendency to micromanage. 
You're a judger of people, typically. You are severely hurt in your past. Financial manipulation, typically controllers want to be in charge of the finances, and they don't want anybody else to be in charge of those. And then they often will go off sideways and do some things that aren't appropriate in the area of financial uh, integrity. And then critical, typically a controller is a critical person. Should we ask for a hands raise now because you're thinking, yeah, that is definitely me. That is me. Who is ultimately in control? I want to see the practicality of this because sometimes when you mention theology, people like, whoop, tune out, pick up the phone, start doing some doodling, some games, some texting. I don't want you to do that. I want you to hang with me through the text in Isaiah. We're going to look at something that is profound. It's practical. It will mean everything to you when your life comes crashing down. When Lisa and I couldn't have little babies of our own, it was the sovereignty of God that rescued us. It was that truth that God is in control, that he's overseeing it, that he allowed it, that he's involved. That truth alone. Isn't that, isn't that the, the honest, honest truth? And so I want you to know the sovereignty of God and, and how it can practically help your life. So Isaiah chapter 46, I want to look at verses 1 down to verse 11. Are you there? Verse 1, bell bows down, Nebo stoops. This is kind of odd. Look at this. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but them themselves go into captivity. You can stop there. Of course, it's talking about Babylon. The people of God are in, in Babylonian captivity. There's an exile that had happened, and so they're being captive by the Babylonians. And so here's some false gods, Bel and Nebo. And these, these gods are going to bow down to a sovereign God. There's a God that's even greater. When you hear me say that God is El Elyon, he is most high. And so in worship, I'll say, God, you're El Elyon in my life. You're most high. There is no other God that is higher than you. There's no other God that is greater than you. There is no other God that deserves the worship than you. You are El Elyon, God most high. I am saying when I declare that through that word or that name is that God is sovereign in control. So you have these false gods here that are in Babylon. And Isaiah, the prophet, is going to give a, an amazing prophecy. And it's a real positive one. Some of the prophets were harsh. I mean, they're direct. They're, they're you know, sometimes in your face to the people of God. And you can look at them and go, man, these guys are uptight. But this is an encouraging word for the people of God that are in exile. But he opens up these verses by talking about these false gods and so Isaiah says, and here's number one, I want you to write this down. Here's how the sovereignty of God will become more real to you when you, number one, are listening to what God says about his own sovereignty in every situation of your life. Write those blanks in. You're listening to what God says about his own sovereignty in every situation of your own life. I want to look at verses three and four. Isaiah begins with an emphatic listen to me. Look at verse three. Again, I'm in the ESV version of the Bible. It says, listen to me. God is speaking through the prophet. He's speaking, saying, lean into me. I want you to, to open yourselves up, open up your understanding. I want you to see something that's going to be very important for you to understand. I want you to listen to me. Now, this is not just Isaiah talking. This is God talking through Isaiah. This, this is a prophet, a major prophet. You have major and minor prophets, and some of the minor prophets would be Obadiah and and all of those guys, but this is known as a major prophet. Isaiah is getting a word. 
that word is God's word. It's coming through him, and he's saying to them, listen to me. So really, it's God saying, what? Listen to me. There's a position here that he wants the people of God to take. He wants them to know that God is sovereign over any false god, of course, sovereign over their situation in Babylon. You've got to remember that they're in a, a very difficult place. They're in exile, and, and they're hurting, and they're confused, and maybe frustrated, and sometimes angry, and maybe oftentimes walking in some shame because of the things that their people have done. And so now Isaiah is going to give them a positive word, but he wants them to understand that God will speak about his own sovereignty in their situation. And this is where you and I have to apply this as well. I want to show you the verses. Listen to me, verse 3, if you'll take your eyes there. O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. In other words, I have carried you. These, these gods, Nebo and Bel, they have to be carried by men. Men carried. That's what they would do. They would enter the city, and they would be carrying these gods that they had made. And so God is saying through Isaiah, listen, man is carrying those false gods, but I carried you. And I have carried you, not just since you were from the womb, but I've actually carried you from before you were born. That's how sovereign God is. In other words, he saw you, he knew you before you were even made. And so he's saying this right here. He goes, listen to me, listen to me. Verse 4, even your old age, I am he. In other words, all of your life, I am going to be with you. I'm going to be sovereign over this. I am in control. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and I will save. Stop there. Think about that as you're getting older. I know that I'm getting older, turned 52 February. Some of you are older than I am, and many of you are younger than I am. But as I think about my life and as I get older, I need God's control. I need to know that every day of my life is ordained of him. I need to know that my steps are ordered by him. I need to know that my future is secure in him. The sovereignty of God is not just when I couldn't have little babies. The sovereignty of God is a practical, ongoing, daily understanding in every situation that I face, that God is sovereign. He is in control. That's huge. I want you to grab this. I want you to be like the people of God here as he says to them, listen to me. And so can I say to you, are you listening to the word of God? I'm not saying are you listening to me. I'm talking about are you listening by the spirit of God that dwells in you if you're a Christian? Are you listening? Are you hearing him say to you, listen, I have known you. I have carried you. And I will carry you all through your gray hair years. In every situation that you have ever faced, and he's going back in time to the people that have been in exile here in Babylon, they're saying, every, ever since then and before you were born, I have carried you. Are you hearing that? Are you by the Spirit of the Lord saying, wait a minute, this situation that happened to me so many years ago, you mean, God, you were still sovereign in that? You were still in control of that? You were, still, you were still carrying me in and through all of that? I thought you had left. I thought you abandoned me. I thought you didn't care about me. Oh, no, no. He was sovereign, still in that situation. I don't know about you, but I've gotten more gray hairs through the years. Can you see them from where you're at? Take a good look at those. Can you see them? Is the light hitting it just right? I didn't used to have these until 40. I turned 40, and then all of a sudden the gray. Then we went through trauma and trials and tribulation, and I got grayer and grayer. That's not just aging. Sometimes that can be stress. Stress will do stuff like that. 
but even in my stress, God is still sovereign. Every gray hair that I have, when I look in the mirror, I'm looking at that going, oh, yeah, Lord, I remember what you taught me. <laughs> I got a lot of lessons that are represented up on my head, and there's going to be more of that as I get older. But if you look at it like that, like he's trying to say here, even in your, not just your, the length of your life and the longevity of your life, but actually the details of your life and the things that have caused you the most pain, if you can see the sovereignty of God in that, and it's represented maybe in your gray hair as a man or, or a woman, then you can go, God, yeah, I remember that. You taught me some things that were amazing. Truly incredible. I got some verses I want to show you on the screen if you want to take a look at these with me. Let's try to sort of fly through these if we can. What do we got here? Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Notice these. this is all about the sovereignty of the Lord, that he is in control. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. So if you think that your world, if you watch Fox or CNN or some of the other things, you think our world's out of control, our world is corrupt, our world is this or that, know that God is still over that. He's still over that. It hasn't caught him by mistake. It's not caught him off guard. It's like, oh, no, what happened to the world? That's not, that's not it. God is a sovereign God. He's in control. He frustrates the, the nations. Verse 3 of Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Now, some of you who have a control issue are going to battle God. That's what's going to happen. And so most of our hands went up, especially after the little attributes that I gave, the 10. A few more hands started going up. And so some of you who are battling with control issues will battle the sovereignty of God. And you'll chafe against it. Every person, every human being will chafe against the sovereignty of God until you bow before it. I remember being that way. I was a pastor for a long time, and, and I just really thought that I was, I was, you know, higher than God. I was El Elyon. I was the God that was most high. And I remember wrestling with the sovereignty of God because I had to give my control. All of a sudden, it's like, all right, God, you are over me. You're over me. Let's look at some other verses here. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. These are great verses for you to just repeat to yourself over and over again. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He is, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. Let's just keep going through these. Proverbs 21.30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Again, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. John 19, 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Who's the one that delivered Christ over to those who killed him? Who, who did that? That was the father, the God, that God did that. You're saying, wait a minute, it was the wicked Jews. It was the wicked people. Yeah, it was that too. But ultimately, in the sovereignty of God, and all the things that he is saying about himself, as we've already looked at, this verse alone, I mean, these people thought they had authority over Jesus and what they were doing. And Jesus is like, you don't have authority over me. The only reason why you're doing this to me is because the Father has determined it so. The Father determined that his son would die for all of those who would believe. And that would include you if you believe. So God is over that. He's still sovereign over the suffering of his son. 
That means he is sovereign over our suffering and what you're going through. This is comforting. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, there is authority. I mean, he's not saying that there isn't any in government and all of that. But ultimately, it's God's authority. That God is sovereign. So look at every situation. James said it like this in 119. He said, be quick to listen or to hear, but it's all the same. Be quick to hear God. Be quick to, to listen to him and what he's saying to you, especially in this first point. It's especially important, especially important. And it was to them when they were in Babylon, this remnant that Isaiah is referring to, this, this group of people that had been going through this immense struggle needed this word of God, the sovereignty of God. So I want you to listen to him saying to you this morning, I carried you. I have always carried you. Some of you have really tough backgrounds. Some of you have been through things that I haven't been through, and you've not been through things that my wife and I have been through. So we're not comparing in that regard, but I know most everybody's story here. And if you're new to Harvest, uh, and I mean, within the last, you know, a couple of months, week, whatever, then I probably don't know, but all of that is still under his authority. All of that you went through, as hard as it was. Listen, listen, I know the dark night of the soul. I do. I know what it's like when the lights get turned off. And it was in those moments I was like, God, I don't know. I don't know. But I had to go back to this. Okay, in every situation, God is sovereign. So that's number one. Here's what you do for number two, to have the sovereignty of God more real to you than ever, refusing to compare God to any other likeness that seeks to rule your life. Here's what you're going to do. There's so much comparison that goes on. There's so many different likenesses of small gods, little g, that are everywhere in Babylon, but they're everywhere in our modern age as well. So verse 5, if you look at verse 5, there's a question. And Isaiah, or God, is saying, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. One cries to it. It does not answer or save him from his trouble. Stop there. You've got to stop comparing. And here's how we do this. What we do is we make these gods, we fashion these gods. It's there in verses 6 and 7. They were doing it, but it's also in our modern age. It's in our modern culture. Christians do this even. I've done this. I've fashioned these little gods. I mean, isn't that what happened at the, at the what was it, Mount Sinai and the golden calf? And Moses goes up, and, and, of course, the people are starting to get all uptight about that, and Moses is taking a while, and so they gather all of their material gold and melt it down and make a golden calf. And we look at them and we go, how could they do that? But we do the same thing. It might not have a you know, gold image to it, but there's these gods that we are comparing. We make these comparisons. I can't, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how many gods I have made in my Christian life, small g, that I have compared God to because God didn't show up in my world 
and he didn't do what I asked him to do or thought, or he didn't come to my rescue, or he left me and went on vacation, and he allowed this incredibly difficult thing. All of a sudden, I started these likenesses. All these likenesses were around me, and I'm like, well, this is what's going to bring the peace. This is what's going to bring my strength. This person over here is going to be the one that's going to bring my comfort. All these little gods I started to carry around with me through my suffering and my difficulty. We all do the same thing. When you go under stress or you're under anxiety, the temptation will be not to trust in a sovereign God over that, but to, to get these little gods. And we make likenesses out of them. They were very good at doing that in Babylon. We're very good at doing it today. Let me just get a little bit more specific. We pick up a God, small g, and we carry it with us, trying to see if it will help us in our trials and pain. Some of that might be alcohol. Some of that might be drugs. Some of that might be pornography. Some of that might be food or spending. It could be any of those things. Those are those likenesses. Those are the things that we compare. People can do that, can be that for us. We think God failed us. We think God wasn't there. Here's what you need to do. You need to refuse to compare. Maybe you already have. It's time to lay down those gods. It's time to lay down those gods this morning. And you're going to say to the Lord, you're going to say to the Lord, God, you are sovereign. I've erected these idols, and I have these things that I'm comparing you to that I think are going to be the answer to my pain and my difficulty and my frustration. And you're going to lay those down, and you're just going to say, God, no, I, I have those idols, and I don't want to do that anymore. And I've made comparisons to you, and and I thought that this could be the answer to what I was struggling with, and I turned to it. What you were saying is that that was sovereign over God. Do you see that? You were saying that these things, these things that you were, you were doing and, and, and are doing, are more sovereign than God. Why do we compare? Why do we make our own gods? Well, we don't know his character. That's why we're going through summer vacation bucket list and his attributes. We don't know his character. Sometimes we get angry at him and we lose hope. When this begins, our mind, it just gets all confused and we lose that ability to reject and refuse the things that we're turning to and we bow down to them and we elevate them higher than God and we say to those little gods that you are sovereign. Isn't that what they were doing in Babylon? Picture them carrying these things. This is my God. God is in control, and we try to make, try to be more so than he is, that will never go well. Do you see that today? And some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You have these little gods. You have them. What are you going to do with those today? If you hold on to them, you're saying that God's not sovereign in your life. You're saying that they are. So the stress levels are high. What are you doing about that? Some of you are going, and you're eating. It's stress eating. What is that? That's a small God. That stress eating is not sovereign. It's not going to really help you ultimately. Some of you are anxious and you want peace in your life. And so maybe you pick up a smoke and that gives you the peace that you're looking for. Maybe your life financially is falling apart and you're so tempted to go out and gamble or, or do some, you know, play a scratch ticket or something like that. I don't know. Those are little gods that you're thinking, that's going to save you. That's not going to save you. None of those things will save you. Man, why do we believe that? 
oftentimes we make these comparisons. The children of Israel did that. You remember they were in the wilderness and, and God fed them. What did he feed them? What came down out of heaven so that they could be provided for? Do you remember that? What was it, everybody? Well, what's another name for manna? We're also biblical. We, we say manna. What is, what is manna? It's bread. It's like bread. Oh. And so I just want to do a little illustration with you. I want to try to illustrate this with a, a picture and maybe some interaction, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. And when I tell you to open your eyes, I want you to keep looking down here. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, 100% participation. And so when I say open them, uh, then open your eyes. Are you ready? Okay, eyes closed, eyes closed, eyes closed. Open them. Wow, did you see that? It's like falling from heaven. And man is coming down from heaven, and God is providing, and it's awesome. And they're looking at it going like, wow, this is from the Lord. And then what happened the next day? Let's do it again. Close your eyes. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. Open them. Uh, uh, Look at that. And then after a while, what did they do? Oh, man, I don't want this. I don't want this. They start complaining. Okay, let's do it one more time. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Ready? Open them. Wow. This is what I really want. You know what? We do the same thing. God's providing, and he's providing for you. And after a while, you're starting to complain. You're starting to compare. You turn to other likenesses. You're saying to God, God, you know what? You made a mistake. You know, you should have given me these right here. This is what I want. What are we saying to the Lord? We're saying this, God, you're not sovereign. Whatever happened in your life, whatever he allowed, like the Westminster Confession just said earlier, whatever he's allowing, he's ordaining the good, the bad, the easy, the really hard, the painful. It's all ordained by God. And I know that some of you with that saying, because you went through so much pain, are going to initially reject that. But can I say to you out of love, can I say to you out of love, if you were to bow before the Lord and say, Lord, you are sovereign, you are sovereign. John Piper does a great job at talking about the sovereignty of God and suffering. I'd encourage you to look at John Piper's podcast on that. He talks about the sovereignty of God and suffering. So we're listening. That's number one. Then we're refusing. Let me finish with number three. You're standing firm in the sovereign purposes and plans of God in your life. You're standing firm. Verses 8 to 11. Notice verse 8. Remember this, and what's the next two words? And stand firm. Do you see it there? Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. In other words, go back in time. Look at where God was in your life. He was still there. And start to see it again. Start to open your eyes to that he never has left you or has forsaken you. He never has. This is what he's saying here. He's saying, remember this. And stand firm. If we're standing firm in this understanding that God has never left us or forsaken us, that he was in control, even in the midst of that massive amount of pain, he was still in control of that. How involved was he in all of that? Down to every detail? Spurgeon used to say, and John Piper would confirm this and others, that even the the dust, the little dust that's in the air, I don't know what you call those things, but they're called dust things. If you look at the sun, come through your window, and then all of a sudden you can see all the dust. Didn't that ever creep you out like when you were a kid? I think I have OCD as a result of that. 
But I used to look at that and stare at those little dust things floating around. We're breathing that in all the time, but you don't see it. Like right now, we're breathing in all that dust. It's not dust mites, but it's something else. Every one of those, Spurgeon said, now get this, this is intense. Every one of those, Spurgeon said, is ordained of the Lord. That's how much he believed in the sovereignty of God. Piper would agree with that. And if those little dust things are all in place exactly where God wanted them to be in place, we ought to stand firm in these truths. Go back in time. See where the Lord was and how he was active. And he never left. He was there. Don't be moved off of this position of faith and trust. You're saying, too late, too late. I already moved. I moved in my heart, moved in my mind, my mind. I moved in my attitude. I'm not there anymore. You can come back. I want you to think about this exile. These people are in Babylon. They must have been thinking all kinds of thoughts. This is a bad place to be. Babylon's a bad place to be. It's not a good place for them. And so I want you to think about a bad place you could be. How about a place that you would be forced to stay in, but you couldn't leave? What would that be? A prison, maybe? Uh, maybe a POW camp? A place that you're forced to stay and you can't leave. It's a hard place to be. Maybe a hospital bed. That's a hard place to be. How about a family reunion with one of those creepy uncles? Ugh, aren't they hope? It's like, oh, I just want to go. I just want to go. It's just, it's just. They're, they're, here's where they are. The Babylonian captivity was a big deal to the people of God. It was hard. It was difficult. But they needed to remember. They needed to recall. But they needed more than that. They needed to stand firm. Stand firm. Look at verse 10 and 11, declaring the end from the beginning. This is what God is saying about himself, and I'll close with this. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east. Do you know who the bird of prey was? It was Cyrus. Cyrus would come in and he would defeat Babylon and then the children of God would be able to leave. So he's calling a bird of prey. He's, he's going to use Cyrus, a man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Let me close with this. We're going to transition into the Lord's table today. I remember in the midst of the pain, I remember in the midst of the difficulty about a decade ago, uh, it was just, it was hard. It was hard, 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 and beyond hard. Uh, we didn't think we were going to survive. We didn't think we were going to survive in many ways. Mentally, I thought I was going to snap. Emotionally, uh, relationally, things were, were going on. Not between my wife and I. We were very close at that time, and the Lord just gave us some serious grace. But during that period of time, I mean, just super, super, super hard. We had a lawyer. And the lawyer uh, was working in our best interest uh, about the whole adoption of the three girls that we were trying to obtain and, and, and trying to get them. And so uh, what I did is I, I erected a God again. And I was like, man, this is, this is victory. Victory is coming. Victory is coming. And it was coming because of this man, my lawyer. That's what I thought. And then when it didn't happen, man, was, I was just dashed to a thousand pieces. But it was good. It was good. Because I was trying to do something that I shouldn't have done. I was saying about my lawyer that he is sovereign. Cyrus came in and God used him. And sometimes God does that. 
But oftentimes we can look at situations and people and think that they're going to be our salvation. It's not going to happen. We've got to get back to the place of the sovereignty of the Lord. So let's go to the table of God. This is for those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you haven't, then today would be an awesome time to repent and turn to the Lord and be forgiven of your sins and put your faith in him. We're going to have some people passing out the elements. I want you to hold on to those. And again, this is for those who believe in Jesus as their Savior. This is also meant for you, not just to remember what the Lord has done, but it's also a great, great um, accountability. It's an accountability um, ordinance, they might call it. Some people call it ordinances and stuff like that. But, and so when we do this, we don't want to come to the table with any kind of sin that we're harboring, right? And so if there's anything in your life, if God's going to play something, I'm sure, something quiet and jest, just start praying that out. God, I, I want a clean heart right now. I, I need you to do something. Just in this moment of time, I have not made you sovereign. I thought I was more in control than you, God. Forgive me. Whatever it is, do that now as he plays and as those are being passed. And then I'll come back and we'll have the Lord's table together. And we'll be able to do that with a clean conscience, right? That's what we want. And so we can start passing those. Just take it to prayer. Take it to the Lord. Start talking to him.